This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Good morning, folks. Welcome to the program. Thank you to Joel and Fletch. They leave the studio nice and clean, don't they? They, they leave it in a in a beautiful manner. Dan does his finest and everything's nice and shiny when we come on in. So thank you to the boys. Uh, it's fun, fun, fun stations this morning and this week on Brecky. It's the last day of January and we've got a fair bit on our plate. So thanks for tuning in to SEN 1170 AM here in Sydney, wherever you're with us on the SEN app, the forecast for our Sydney listening area today. Uh, more of the same, more showers around with the chance of a thunderstorm again. Did you cop it last night? The downpour right across Sydney. We got it at our place. It was a beauty. Tops of 27 in the city today and 28 in the West. On our sporting menu this morning, is it make or break time? Who's facing a make or break sporting year or a make or break sporting deal? Now, obviously the biggest deal that is on the table at the moment, or is it? It seems to be floating around and, and not landing on any particular table. And now we're getting the NRL side of this is the NRL versus the Rugby League Players Association and the collective bargaining agreement. So here we go again. It went quiet a little bit over the last sort of back end of last week. The RLPA and the uh, players themselves have been fairly vocal and taking quite a stance on social media. And I said uh, time and time again, especially over the last couple of weeks, that the NRL has been silent on this. They haven't really said anything because they haven't had to. Well, now CEO Andrew Abdo has had his say. So how close are we to finally seeing a deal being done? How close are we to make or break time in this one? And are we closer to the possibility of further player action? Are we closer to the possibility of a strike? you got to say that the more the clock ticks on this, the more we're getting towards that possibility. I still don't think it's going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. But surely as the clock ticks down, you've got to get closer and closer to the chance that it may be on the table. Or is the divide between headquarters and players and the Players Association even bigger than ever now that the NRL CEO has had his say? So an interview with Michael Chamis in the Sydney Morning Herald and nine newspapers this morning. A couple of quotes out of it from Andrew Abdo. We're the custodians for the game, he said. We can't send the game bankrupt. I need to be able to work with a counterparty that's willing to prioritise and compromise. So first up there, we can't send the game bankrupt, saying that we can't be in a position from the NRL, no matter what numbers you're looking at, to just hand over a whole stack of money to another party. In this case, it's the party that makes the game happen, the the players' party. But the NRL is charged with running, administering and obviously fostering the game and keeping it afloat. So they're saying we can't be in a position to send the game bankrupt and then says I need to be able to work with a counterparty that's willing to prioritise and compromise. Now, the suggestion there is that the counterparty in this instance, the RLPA, aren't willing to do that. 
He said the RLPA is seeking full autonomy on a significant amount of player funds, and that's not good governance. Back to my first point about why he said we can't send the game bankrupt. Andrew Abdo says we had our 2023 NRLW draw ready to go, but the RLPA asked us not to release it. So we've been asking for weeks and weeks and weeks, where's the draw? Where's the NRLW's future in all of this? Well, according to Andrew Abdo, it was ready to go, but the Players Association said don't release it. And he said, how could we not be aiming to grow the number of NRLW teams in the next five years? The RLPA have proposed staying at 10 teams only, and we're the ones, he said, pushing for growth to 12 teams when the time's right. And then on the possibility of strikes, we'll do everything we can to avoid that. So what's the, what are the key takeaways out of that, in your opinion? Let me know, now that you've got more information out of the NRL side of this debate, let me know what your takeaway is and where you think it's at in terms of make or break. Because we're getting closer. 0457 736 736. The general take from me is that the NRL wants to keep hold of as much of the governance of the game and under that, or on top of that, the finances of the game as much as they can. And I think probably the most damning part on the other side is that Andrew Abdo is saying we need to be able to work with a party that's willing to prioritise and compromise. So that's a bit of a shot across the bow. Rugby League Players Association CEO Clint Newton reporting uh, in the report this morning. Well, the report says the association has not been granted one in-person meeting with the NRL throughout these negotiations. And I looked at that and said, hang on a second. These have been going on for ages. Surely there's been person-to-person negotiations in this. So I got hold of Clint Newton this morning via text and I asked him to clarify that for me. And he also said that he wanted that clarified in the story. He says, we haven't genuinely traded off and bargained each and every claim. There's a difference between meeting, discussing, understanding the claims of the other party, or in our case, largely educating the NRL and bargaining with intent and purpose. So I think we can safely say that there have been in-person meetings in whichever fashion you want to suggest that those in-person meetings have been taking place. However, it appears as though the nitty-gritty of this has not been traded off and bargained, according to Clint, at each and every claim. So they haven't gone back and forth on detail. I mean, where is this at? Clint says the expectation from his board and the players, those above him and those he represents, is to get in a room, work through it line by line, whether positions are agreed or not, and ask the question why. This is negotiation 101, isn't it? And Clint's also uh, quoted this morning saying, why shouldn't the players have certain terms and conditions that would be considered in line with other codes or industry-approved best practice? Which is a fair question. And that's one of the questions that the players have been constantly putting out there in social media. So you know where we're at, folks? We're still in a holding pattern. You know when you're on a flight, you're coming on in, and they say, hey, we're just going to have to be in a holding pattern for a second. Ground control have just said, hold up a bit. And you go round and round and round. <laughs> this appears to be where it's at publicly anyway. So if it takes an in-person negotiation meeting, 
can we not just get to that? If it takes, you give us this, we'll give you that. Can we not get there? I mean, this is a very, very complex deal. But time's ticking. Time is ticking away. Now, the season launch, in my opinion, can come and go, right? If the players don't turn up to the season launch, just call the thing off. I don't think it's really going to matter whether or not there's a big season launch and everyone's paraded in front of the cameras and they go off and try and promote the start of the premiership proper. Everyone knows when the season's going to start. You can do that stuff online. Probably a 30-second very slick ad's going to do a whole lot more than having a whole heap of players turn up for a season launch. So take away the season launch. But the season proper and the pre-season competition that's now in front of us, what happens if that starts to get the time, uh, the clock ticking on that and there's no deal done? That's the situation that we're at. If I'm looking at a clock that's ticking, I'm looking at the season start, not the season launch. It is make or break time. So tell me, folks, this morning, now you've heard a bit more from both sides. I don't think we've heard all from both sides and we're sitting on the outer of this. We're not at the table, but how do you think this ends and how do you want it to end? Your fans of the game, your investors in the game, how do you want this to be wrapped up? 0457 736 736 and who else is facing make or break? So let's take it further. Let's go out to players, coaches, clubs, the whole bonanza for 2023. And Luke Brooks, of course, as we know, is now endorsing the West Tigers club pursuit of Mitch Moses. And the boys spoke about this this morning. So it's an interesting one, this one. Um, He's endorsed the club saying, okay, let's have a look at Mitchell Moses. He made his debut, Moses, for the Tigers back in 2014. He's already played 60-plus games there before going to the Eels. And we know the Bulldogs are out of the race. Brooks, he said it'd be great for him to get back here and, and link up again. We've played a lot of footy together. If he were to come, that'd be a massive incentive for me to stay. So a fair bit at play here. The sticking point, both Brooks and Adam Dewey are off contract at the end of this season, along with fullback Dane Laurie. So if you're the West Tigers, who do you choose to partner Moses if he's going to be on the radar in the halves? Is it Brooks or Dewey? And therefore, is it a make or break year for both of them? I don't know about Mitchell Moses. He doesn't have to prove much over there at the Eels. And at the moment, he's got at least two clubs in the race to continue or to have his signature for next year. But for Luke Brooks and Adam Dewey, is it a make or break year for both of them? Which other players need to step up in 2023? Do we put Caelan Ponga in this situation? New mega year, uh, mega deal at the Knights. And he will now be playing in the number six jumper. Nowhere to hide, not that Caelan Ponga is the kind of player who needs or can hide anyway, but now he will be playing at 5'8". Brandon Smith arrives at the Roosters. So much fanfare around that one. Is it make or break year for Brandon Smith at the Chooks? David Fafita at the Titans, off contract at the end of this year. There's a big pay cut waiting if he doesn't live up to the standards. So David Fafita is at make or break year for him. Who's it a make or break year for in coaches? Well, Anthony Griffin's the easy and obvious choice and will be the one that continues to get the names, uh, get his name at the top of this list. 42% winning rate, third year with the club, yet to lead them to the finals. We know all that. 
So make or break year for Anthony Griffin or for any other coach. And what about the Dolphins? Full stop. Is it make or break year for them? And how much do you cut them some slack by coming into this competition as the first new team in a long, long time? Is it their coach under pressure? Well, not so. He's at the back end of his career. Players who are going to be in there. Is it the NRL itself for making this expansion decision and bringing in the Dolphins? So let me know this morning. 0457 736 736 is the text line. Or you can have your say 1300 01 1170. Let me know what you're thinking about this NRL VRLPA situation. How do you want it to end? And what do you think would get it across the line? And make or break players, coaches or clubs in 2023. On the show today, Simon Hill will join me as he always does on a Tuesday morning. A fair bit to cover in the world of football. And looking forward to having a chat with the chairman and co-owner of the Sydney Kings, Paul Smith. Now, yesterday we were at the Sporting Globe. And just had a cracking morning watching a whole stack of NFL. I mean, this three-hour show that we do just kind of got in the way of our good morning. No, we had a ball. Had an absolute ball down there, and it was a lot of fun. The Philadelphia Eagles, of course, the early game. They're through to Super Bowl 57. And then the Kansas City Chiefs did it by three points in the end. A dramatic final play against the Cincinnati Bengals. But you still got a chance to clock it. Take your time and take the shot down. Here's Mahomes rolling out on third and four. He's going to go for the, yes, he's got the marker. He's got the out of bounds to stop it. And Osai was hurt as he hit the bench. And a flag's coming in. And that's going to put them in position to get. Personal foul, unnecessary roughness, defense number 58. And that 15, 15 yards, yards from the end of the play. He's going to take this all the way into an inside of about 40-yard field goal attempt to go to the Super Bowl. Here's Butker. From 45 yards. Wow, incredible drama at the back end of that. So uh, the Chiefs go through 23-20 over the Bengals. Now, there was a fair bit of back and forth in the world of sledging (laughs) over there and slapdowns. Now, I need to just backtrack here because this is a different one. Sometimes, you know, we get players versus players. We get coaches buying into it. But what about a politician? Cincinnati Mayor Aftab Puraval decided to pick a fight with the Kansas City Chiefs before this one. Uh, And he decided to bag Patrick Mahomes along the way. So let's start first up with the over the net. uh, Here comes the serve down the line from the Cincinnati Mayor. Be it proclaimed, whereas the Cincinnati Bengals are headed to Burrowhead Stadium for their second consecutive AFC Championship game. Whereas at last year's game, the Bengals scored more points than the Chiefs, resulting in a Bengals victory and a Chiefs loss. Whereas Joseph Lee Burrow, who's 3-0 against Mahomes, has been asked by officials to take a paternity test to confirming whether or not he's his father. Whereas all season long, Cincinnati has been on a path of destiny, fighting it out to overcome anyone who stands between them and a Super Bowl win. And whereas Kansas City is named after its neighboring state, which is, you know, just kind of weird. Now, therefore, I, Aftab Kirval, mayor of the city of Cincinnati, do hereby proclaim January 29th, 2023, as they got to play us day in Cincinnati. Thank you. Oh, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Is there anything worse than a politician who thinks he's a comedian for a start and then absolutely gets the egg on his face in public? Be it proclaimed, Aftab Pureval, 
that you missed the mark horribly on that one. And Travis Kelsey did not miss after they put Cincinnati to bed yesterday. Hey, I got some wise words for that Cincinnati mayor. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. Yeah, <laughs> slap down. Uh, 57, I'm going to call that. Forget about Super Bowl 57. It's slap down 57, and Travis Kelsey, you win that one hands down. So the Super Bowl is the Eagles v. Chiefs. Arizona, of course, Monday week. So Feb 13 is the date. It'll be the fourth Super Bowl uh, performance for the Philadelphia Eagles. They've won one, lost two in their previous three, and the Chiefs are off to their fifth Super Bowl with a 2-2 two and two record. And, of course, Jared Waitley and the team will be there with full coverage of Super Bowl 57. Cricket, the Australian Cricket Awards at Randwick last night. The Allen Border medal goes to Steve Smith, his fourth award. So he won it in 2015, 2018, 2021 and 2023. Finished ahead of Travis Head in the votes and comes off the back of more than 1,500 runs across all three formats of the game. He joins Ricky Ponting and Michael Clark as a four-time winner of the AB medal. Here's Steve Smith. Four times just makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, extremely humbled to, to be up here. Um, it's been uh, my last four months. I've, I've changed a lot of things. I've, I've worked incredibly hard on my game to get myself back playing the way I wanted to play. So, um, no, I'm really, really pleased. I, I certainly don't play for, for these kind of accolades. But um, it's been a, a tremendous 12 months with the Australian team. I think we've overcome some, some really good hurdles and played some tremendous cricket. So, um, nah, really humbled. Um, geez, I'm amongst some, some pretty special players here. And, yeah, like I said, I certainly don't play for, for these kind of accolades. I literally just go out and try and score as many runs as I can and help the team out in any way that I can. So, um, yeah, it's nice to have, I guess, ticked off a few milestone, milestones along the way. But... Um, yeah, I'm just going to keep trying to get better and um, hopefully contribute to some success over the next couple of months. Steve Smith last night. Next up, of course, is the tour of India. Uh, the Shane Warne Test Player of the Year went to Usman Khawaja. I think we've got a bit of time, so let's just quickly have a listen to Uzi, who was in fine form last night. I couldn't give him the ball as much because we were playing on Raging Green Tops, um, up, as mate. it is early on during the year. <laughs> David Warner turned up, everyone. <laughs> I'll just start by saying uh, congrats to everyone on the team. I think there's been outstanding performances. Manus, uh, Smudger, Paddy Always, Gaz, amount of wickets you've taken this year, unbelievable. Um, I was just a little bit better, I think. <laughs> Looking sharp, kid. Yeah, look. As uh, you told me you would. I mean... I wore a very flary jacket at the Queensland Bulls Award a few few years ago and they say the same thing. I was looking sharp and I'll give you the same reply. I must be going to hell because it's a sin to look this good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, there's your winner. There's your winner last night, folks. I mean, the old Cincinnati mayor could pick up the phone and give a call to Uzi Kawaja and get some tips on how to actually run a microphone. But that was um, both on stage and off. He was in absolute fine form last night. The ODI Player of the Year went to David Warner. Marcus Stoinis was the Men's T20 International Player of the Year. Congratulations to Beth Mooney, her second Belinda Clark Award. She also was the Women's ODI Player of the Year. And Talia McGrath, the Women's T20 International Player of the Year. We'll hear from Beth Mooney in just uh, a few minutes. The challenger for the BBL Finals gets underway on Thursday night, as we know. So the Sixers v the Brisbane Heat. But obviously, a whole stack of players that we'd love to have there have to get on that plane 
and head off to uh, India for that series. That's the way that the cookie has crumbled. All righty, there you go. We've got a fair bit on the plate this morning. It's make or break morning. Players, coaches, clubs that need to make or break it this year or that will make or break it this year. And how do you see this standoff between the NRL and the Rugby League Players Association finally coming to an end? What's got to be the difference to get this thing over the line? Back after this. Yes, plenty of your texts coming through on make or break players, uh, especially for the NRL season ahead. Well, let's hope that it's ahead on the day that it's meant to go ahead and the preseason as well. Like I say, I don't think it's going to get to that. And let's hope that it's not going to get to that. But uh, I'll get to your texts and you can give us a call on the open line, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. We can take your call straight after the news. Uh, if you missed it this morning in the nine papers, the Sydney Morning Herald in particular, have a look at Andrew Webster's article because he summarised it beautifully in a debate that we had yesterday, a discussion rather, that we had yesterday because I took the goat issue off the table for Novak Djokovic off the back of his 10th Australian Open title. And we just dealt in cold, hard numbers yesterday as in terms of where it ends for Novak. And Webby's done a great article on the fact that Novak Djokovic is the goat. And if he is the goat, why can't Australia bring itself to say the, the letters, the word? He may act like a goose, but Joker is the goat is the headline. I'll get you to some of the stuff that Webby's uh, said in his article this morning. We'll pick it up, have a read. Of course, Webby returning to the show very, very soon on a Wednesday morning. We need to break for the news. Time for your texts and calls straight after this. Thank you, Vanessa, and good to hear uh, from Beth Mooney in that ad break there. As I mentioned, uh, a two-time Belinda Clark award winner now after last night's Australian Cricketers Awards at Royal Ramwick, uh, 0457 736 736 is my text line or 1300 01 1170 is the open line if you'd like to give me a call. Luke Thompson and Kyle Flanagan, make or break, is a shout-out from our first texter of the morning. Another one says, the fact that the NRL deal wasn't sorted out 12 months ago is a farce. Not even sure what you'd call it at this stage. Embarrassing for all involved. Um... Look, I, I don't know why it's got to this date. And, and like I continually say, we, we are getting drips and drops of the information and we're not at the negotiating table. So we can only really look at it from what we're told, the, the information that we know and that we've garnered. And I did text uh, Clint Newton this morning just to get some clarification around a number of things. So we're looking at it from the outside in. But we're going to be the ones looking at the game from the outside in. And that's why I think so many people are invested in. Normally, these things just take place behind closed doors. I mean, we talk about broadcast deals and we're fascinated by the number. And we're probably more fascinated about where it's going to end up and who's going to be calling our footy because we're from the outside looking in. On this occasion... Everyone wants to know the detail from the inside looking out, and we're not going to get that because we're not at the table. But what we do want is a resolution to this. And it appears as though after what Andrew Abdo has said this morning in the newspapers, in his interviews over the last 24 hours, I don't know if we're any closer. They've dug their heels in. The RLPA are continuing to dig in theirs, and it appears as though we just need to get people to the negotiating table and thrash it out. Get in a room, shut the doors, don't come out till the deal is 
done. It sounds so simple and sounds as though it should be taking place as a matter of course, yet for some reason in this, it's very complex as all deal making is going to be. But for some reason, this one just does not want to go further down the road. Dave from Frankston says, ground control to major abdo, question mark. So obviously pointing the finger there towards NRL headquarters. Matty, to me, uh, this NRL v RLPA circus seems like amateur hour on both sides. Maybe Abdo and Newton both need to go. Well, they're, they're both holding on to their positions and they're coming at it from very different positions. So the best form of summary for me is we could we could dive into the numbers nitty-gritty and it will give you an ice cream headache <laughs> as to what the numbers really are. And is this percentage right versus that percentage increase right? Because now we've got more players coming in. We've got new teams coming in. We could go on and on and on at the breakdown. But if you take the message from what Andrew Abdo is saying this morning and from what other messaging has come out is that go back to what happened with COVID, right? And thankfully we're out of that. But go back to what happened with COVID and here's what happened. The game got to a stage where if it couldn't provide the content that the broadcasters are paying a truckload of money to deliver, then it loses all that money. And that was essentially the one funnel of funding that the game had. And when that became in, in, in jeopardy of actually coming down the pipeline, then we faced the situation of the game could crumble. The game can never, ever, ever afford to be in that position again. And I guarantee you that that is top priority at NRL headquarters, from Andrew Abdo, from Peter Volandis, and from everybody in the commission. And I reckon everyone in the game gets that. And that, to me, is one of the big sticking points in this. Now, we don't know the details, like I say, but if you've got 200 million, 300 million, 100 million, whatever it is, and you're handing it over to a group, especially off the back of what's already happened to the game and what nearly happened to the game, as in it nearly fell over completely, then you want to make sure that the entire governance around that is correct. How they're going about that and the details around that, we can only view from the outside in. 0457 736 I'll get to more of those texts in just a sec. Just back to Webby's article this morning. He talks about the GOAT situation. He says, then there's Novak Djokovic, one of the few athletes who has legitimate claims to being the GOAT, but has become such an objectionable sod, we can't bring ourselves to say he is the GOAT. He goes on to make some really good points and then wraps it up by saying, I mean, talking about Djokovic's form and game. He says he makes his way around the court better than anyone, but this year it was like watching somebody play a brick wall. He'll never be as aesthetically pleasing as Federer, who approached a game of tennis like it was something to be framed and hung in a gallery. He'll never be as admirable as Nadal, who courageously plays through his injuries without much fuss instead of using them to play mind games with his opponent. Webby's nailed it today, folks. And he wraps it up by saying a hero is only as good as his villain. But Djokovic is the villain running out of heroes. If not an ageing Nadal, who's going to stop him? <laughs> it's not a bad question and a great way to put it. He's the villain who's running out of heroes 
in his generation. Is it Sitsipas? Is it Medvedev? Is it Alcaraz? Is it the rest? Um, they're going to step up, but there's definitely a generational change. Let's go straight to the open line. Gary's on the line. Make or break. Gary, good morning to you. Who do you reckon's on the make or break list for 2023? I reckon, I reckon the Newcastle coach, the Dragons coach, the Titans coach, they all must be winning games if they want their job. That's how I see that. God, you got three coaches in the in the firing line already. So you've got Adam O'Brien, you've got Anthony Griffin, yeah. and you've got Justin Holbrook um, all needing yeah, to make absolutely. or break. So if if it is make or break, I mean, it's make or break for every coach, right? What, what happens if a coach is in the top eight this year, slides out and ends up down the bottom? Then that's make or break. So if you're going to then put take that a little bit further, when is it make or break for those three coaches, do you reckon? Is it at the end of the year when they look at the ladder? If, if they make the finals or not, is it earlier in the year if they drop three or four out of their first five or six? You know what I think it is? How the players, if they improve their skills, what are they doing? You know, you must win games to keep everyone happy, but it's, it's the, the individual players. Are they better players being there? That's what, how I think. So, Tom, I'm not quite sure. How long does that take? I can't really answer that question, but that's what I want from coaches. I want them to have better skills leaving the club at the end of the day. And I don't see that from the coaches I've just mentioned. I could be wrong, but that's how I see it. Good on you, mate. Appreciate that call. I mean, there's, there's probably another layer to that too, is that, sure, it's the head coach's role to oversee everything, but when it comes to skills, there's your defensive coach, your attacking coach, there's your kicking coach. Oh, there's your tackling coach, there's your wrestling coach. I mean, there's all sorts. So if you're looking at players who are improving their skills and they're not doing that, do you look at that coach that's individually responsible for that or does that go to the higher order of the head coach? Make or break. It's an interesting one for us to talk about this morning. Who do you think is on the make or break list for 2023? 0457736736. Pedro, morning to you. He says, Matty. I'll say it again, mediator. And to quote the Stones, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometime, you just might get what you need. Well, I think they're trying, Pedro. Let's let's not assume that nobody's doing anything on this one. I reckon that they're trying here. They just don't seem to be breaking through. And that's why I reckon it's coming to make or break. Good morning, Matt. Make or break. Too many to mention, but one in particular is Reese Walsh. Still not sure. If he is what many think he is, um, or more so could be from uh, Mel at Nunder in Brisbane. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's not a bad shout-out. I mean, you make a big move, you put yourself in the frame of being in make-or-break territory. Any players, any coaches, any clubs, who do you think's on the make-or-break list? It is 19 minutes to 10 o'clock on this Tuesday morning right here on 11.70 a.m. in Sydney and wherever you tuned in via the SEN app. Uh, we're nice and busy this morning and the uh, text line is furiously ticking over with make-or-break suggestions for uh, 2023. I'll just quickly summarise before we go to this call. Everybody, it seems, in the sporting world in 2023 is make or break because I'm getting names, clubs, coaches, left, right and centre and, and and everybody is being targeted. In fact, the Hawk has even gone off on a different tangent. Make or break, the bunker. Ooh. Oh, what is it? It's January 31. Tommy, we made it. We almost made it to February without talking about the bunker. 
Um, Tommy, get to you in just a sec because I just want to take the open line call on one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Adam from North Kellyville. G'day, Adam. Matt, how are you, mate? Good, thanks. Your take on these negotiations? Right. I'm interested from a from a fan's point of view. Uh, we'll lose. We'll 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 get uh, Adam back. So we've just lost him there. Sorry, mate. You've you've gone into the into the hole there, into the old cellular hole. So we'll get you back. And once we do, I'll um, move on and give you a buzz back. So Tommy, morning, Matty. Morning, listeners. Good, good morning to you. So the bunker is that our first? Is that our first shout out of the bunker? I think it is so far for twenty twenty three. Ooh. I don't think it's going to be made. I think it's going to stay there, isn't it? They invest what two and a half million dollars a year. Yeah, you know, I, I find that funny. I, I actually find that funny that um, a lot of people um, constantly say that the bunker's only there because the investment's there, and it's two million dollars. Two million bucks in that game is nothing. Yeah, it should be nothing. And it, <laughs> I reckon there's a whole stack of players who've just swerved off the side of the road, mostly. NRL hopeful W players mm-hmm. who don't have a deal whatsoever. But in the scheme of things, when it comes to technology and investment in that side of it, two million bucks it, it shouldn't be shouldn't be the reason why the bunker is so called justified. Uh, we're going to have another crack at Adam. Um, yeah. So Mark's had a chat to you. So hopefully we've got you on the line, Adam. Hope you can hear us, mate. So your take on these uh, NRL CBA negotiations. Well, Matty, thanks, mate. Sorry, you think technology would be great these no, that's days. That's all right. Um, I think that the players are overreaching. As we all know, the game can't afford It's not a national game where they have a lot of money. It's not the Australian cricket team where they've set up a player fund so they don't have... They can't sustain it. And if they're serious, if a player gets knocked out, he should be out for three months, if that's their concern. Uh, yeah. Does that make sense? Well, I, I hear what you're saying, but no, I don't think it really makes sense on the oh, because there's no detail around it, and you know it's it's not as simple as if a player gets gets knocked out that he shouldn't be sitting out for three months. And mate, there there is plenty of money on the table. There, there's a lot of money, and the game I, can I, sustain I, it because we're talking a super super mega TV deal that should help fund the game. I think I think the bottom line out. Look, you and I don't really know the facts and figures that they're trying to thrash out. I've got information about it and I've broken down the numbers and I've been through it at length with Clint Newton in particular on the RLPA side. So we kind of know what we know. Um, But I think the best way to summarise it is essentially from the players, it's about terms and conditions. Let me put it that way in the easiest possible sense. It's about what they want around the game and around the payment structure and the future of players' the welfare of players, the NRLW players. So we're looking at terms and conditions here. And the NRL, from my perspective, is saying, well, hang on a second, we can't thrash them out because we don't just want to chuck willy-nilly a whole heap of cash at you. That, that's the simplest and easiest and dumbest way for me to put it from, from, my, from my silly perspective. Because that's why I mentioned, like, the head knocks, because we've had all the, the thing about Fennec and all that and all yeah. this. So that's where they're going down that path, in my belief. Mm. You know well, the, I mean, I think they're, they're jumping at that. And the only the only club that's been serious about heads knock has been the Roosters. Like with the headlock corner and um, mm. what's it? I think that's where they, my opinion, where they're going with the head knock. They're all worried about that. Well, the game's worried about that without question. Um, good on you, Adam. Thank you for your call, mate. We, we've got to move on, but I appreciate your call. And see, this is the thing. You go into details and look, um, the, the Roosters are not the only club 
that are concerned about head knocks. Everybody's concerned about head knocks. The game itself, every single club, that I think that's that's a given. But when you start to talk about player welfare, you know, there's a lot more to it than just how do we protect players from getting a head knock. And that's been almost the issue of the day, really, for rugby league over the last couple of years. So see what see what happens. We get this reflection of the kind of situation that we're in at the moment where we're having a look from the outside in at, at these details that are on the table that are going to be very, very complex to try and work out. We get that. It's not as easy as saying the game doesn't have enough money for the players. It's not as easy as saying the players don't have enough rights from the game. There's a whole stack more to be worked out. I think one of the biggest issues in this is how on earth has it got to this point? We're at the end of January. The game proper starts in the start, at the start of March. So we've essentially got another four weeks to go, and it's a short month, February. So how on earth did we get it to this stage? Or is that the classic negotiation tactic? Take it all the way there to the very point because then we'll definitely have to thrash it out because we need to. 30 days away, 30 days away until the start of the premiership. We'll take a break. Uh, Tommy, stick around. I want to get your thoughts and plenty of your time uh, time for your calls as well. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. We are edging closer to the 10 o'clock news and then a, a very big second hour of the program. Paul Smith, the co-owner and chairman of the Sydney Kings, will join me. Of course, the Kings finishing uh, on top of the minor premiership ladder after Cairns lost their match last night to the Adelaide 36ers. The numbers have been extraordinary at the Sydney Kings at Kudos Bank Arena this season. Um, 144,000 fans have gone there during the NBL season so far. I mean, it's just massive. And this has been replicated right around the NBL. And you would have heard uh, over the course of, I think it was yesterday again, we had a shout-out from a a listener who went to a Sydney Kings match. And we've had them time and time again about the entertainment factor and how good it is. So I want to touch base with Paul about um, a number of things, obviously heading into the back end of the season and why he thinks the NBL has hit the mark again. For those of us of, of my vintage who were around when the Kings, the Coca-Cola Kings as they were with the big names that were lighting up the Sydney Entertainment Centre, it was just wow factor everywhere. It was a must-see thing. We remember those great days and the NBL as a whole went down through its dark days, but now they're back again, back big time too. So we're not the first to raise that, but I am interested in having a good chat to Paul Smith. So he'll be my special guest in the next hour. We'll also hear from Mitchell Stark and Josh Hazelwood last night as they get ready to go over to India and in particular Starkey and that recovery from the finger injury that he suffered during the previous series. So um, we got a fair bit of information out of last night's awards night where Steve Smith was crowned the Alan Border medalist and Beth Mooney crowned the Belinda Clark medalist Smith for the fourth time and uh, Beth Mooney for the second time with her award. So congratulations to both of them. Make or break. It's make or break time, folks, in 2023 because all sorts of seasons are about to get underway. Let me know yours. 0457 736 736. It is Tuesday morning, folks, the last day of January. And welcome to our listeners joining us on SENQ, 693 a.m. in Brisbane, on 1620 a.m. SEN on the Gold Coast. And welcome back to those on 1170 a.m. in Sydney and wherever you're tuned in via the SEN app. A few things on our plate this morning, but mostly 
make or break. It's make or break time. So we've been looking at the NRL, the RLPA situation. I want your take on that. Andrew Abdo has had a bit to say in the morning newspapers and outlined uh, more of the NRL's position. The RLPA has also hit back through Clint Newton, and it appears as though this stalemate continues. So are we at make or break time? It's 30 days until the season proper starts for 2023. Then, of course, our cricketers are heading off to India, the male test team heading off over there for a huge series, which you'll hear ball by ball um, right here on SEN. Mitchell Stark spoke last night about his recovery from that finger injury that he suffered ahead of this tour of India, this one courtesy of Fox Sports. I'm in the splint for another two weeks, so obviously can't play with anything on the finger. Um, hasn't been out of the cast for four weeks, so um, I've been buying with three fingers, and that's like the good thing is I can keep my workloads up, so as soon as it comes off, I can um, adapt to two days in India, and, and away we go to the second test, hopefully. Yeah, so second test is the focus for Mitchell Stark, and uh, I, I don't know, I think I'd, I still wouldn't want to face him if he's bowling with three fingers. Um, <laughs> He's a finger down. I'm just, no, I'm right. Thanks. Oh uh, four five seven seven three six seven three six. Would you take on that challenge? I'm going to catch up with the co-owner and chairman of the Sydney Kings in the NBL, Paul Smith, in just a few minutes' time. The Kings claim the NBL minor premiership after the Cairns Taipans loss to the Adelaide 36ers last night. And we've got some news coming in from the BBL. Of course, the finals continue, and we're down to the final three. We've got. Uh, the challenger on Thursday night, and the Sixers have been given a boost. Jordan Silk has signed on for a further three seasons in the Magenta, and that will make Sydney Sixers fans in particular very, very happy. So a further three years, it'll keep him at the club until the end of BBL 15. And, of course, they're getting ready to face the Brisbane Heat for a spot in the final on Saturday night against the Perth Scorchers. Make or break 2023, 0457736736. Players, coaches, clubs that face the make or break time right now. And what about the NRL standoff with the RLPA? What's your take on that? Let's go straight to the open line. Jack from Maroubra is on the line on that subject. Good morning, Jack. Yeah, g'day, Matty. How are you? Good, thanks. Your um, take? Yeah, my take on the... Um I'm on the NRL side, mate. I'm fed up with all this. I mean, like, it's ongoing and pretty obvious what Abdo said yesterday. Um, they're worried about, you know, the sustainability of the game. I mean, it's got to come from somewhere, the money, doesn't it? And uh, there's a good point where you mentioned earlier about during COVID. So, I mean, like, what do the players want? I mean, like, the fans have been sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting for this. And at the moment... These clubs in the, uh, at the moment are waiting for the uh, decision to come forward so they can um, sort out their own salary cap. One is Parramatta, hence why the delay Mitchell Moses uh, announcing he's resigning with the Eels. Um, and it's, it's just a domino effect. And, and being a fan and loving the game, I mean, Jesus brand me off big time, and especially when you see the players talk um, about it. I mean, the money's there. They've got a pay rise. And... You know, the, the, world, the, the world is um, out there, you know, the workforce, people are suffering. And we've got blokes here, we've just got a 20% pay rise. I know there are issues, but, but let's just get this thing sorted out. I, I just don't get it. I'm fed up. Every day we hear on the radio, if it's this station or another station mm. or in the papers, we're hearing about the same old thing. It's got this 
it's actually quite, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up with it, to tell you the truth. All I'm waiting for here is when Mitchell Moses refunds the car. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all I care about, I think. You know, and, and it's pretty obvious, Parramatta, I'm just waiting for the final decision. Hence why this delay's gone for so long. So they know their salary cap. It cost Parramatta signing Martin to power because he couldn't, he couldn't wait any longer. So he needed a contract. End up signing the Broncos. So I mean, it's all it's all crap in my books. And you know, as soon as this game and um, the, the NRL preseason starts next month, yeah. all for the better. So we don't have to listen to this garbage. I mean, like I'm sick of Clint Newton. Absolutely sick. Of, I'm on um, Valandi side. I think this guy's a legend. And Abdo, Abdo, uh, I'm, I'm on their side all the way to the bank and uh, all the way. That's my opinion anyway, Maddie. All right, Jack. Good on you, mate. I appreciate that. And and look, I, you you mentioned a couple of things there. With all due respect to Mitchell Moses and the situation that the Eels find themselves in, and and obviously. You're, you're just putting it right out there. You you just rather this thing done so you can get an answer on somebody who's obviously your you know a, a key player in in your world and in your team, and that's fair enough. That's not issue number one. That's the flow on effect of getting the deal done, and I know that that's you know that's what you'd love to hear, which is which is part of it. But the other part that you said about the other issues of the players, so this is one of the central components of what the rugby league players association have been trying to get across Jack, the other issues, according to them that need to be on the table, player welfare. They they keep going over it and over it, but I've got to be honest, mate. And I've said this before. I don't think their message is getting through clear enough and concise enough. I just don't think it is. And I think the NRL, if it is toe to toe, head to head, Let's get in and get down and get dirty on this one. The NRL have been winning the publicity war on that. Now, that's not going to help anything in negotiations once they, once they get down and try and sign a bit of paper. But And the, the players have been united in this. They have, and we don't often see that. But I just don't think the message is getting clear enough because it's a detailed message. And they needed to have worked out how they say to you, Jack, this is what we stand for. This is what we're prepared to do. And this is how far we're prepared to take it because this means so much to us. I think that that message is getting lost through probably no fault of their own, but I think that message is getting lost. And if that message had been clearer and stronger and much more concise, then perhaps you might have changed your tune a little bit on that. Meanwhile, the NRL, who put the salary cap figure out there, haven't had anything to say until yesterday or today, really, through Andrew Abdo. So you can see who's winning the publicity war. And the reality is that the public perception plays a big part in this, but it's not when they get down to the nitty-gritty of the detail. As Andrew Abdo has said in the papers this morning with an interview with Michael Chamis, we're the custodians for the game. We can't send the game bankrupt. And he points out that they need to be able to work with a counterparty that's willing to prioritise and compromise. Clint Newton has clarified through me this morning um, the paragraph that said that the association had not even been granted one in-person meeting with the NRL throughout these negotiations. Well, he said, no, 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 we just haven't genuinely traded off and bargained each and every claim. So we haven't had the situation where we've been able to go back and forth detail via Uh, detail by detail. It's a really complex scenario. We get that. But the fans are starting to get to the point to, you know what, 
Game's just around the corner. Season's just around the corner. Can we sort it out so we can move on with supporting our favourite team and finding out where our favourite player is going to be? Let's move on. The NBL 23 awards were announced uh, yesterday. Xavier Cooks nominated for the Andrew Gaze MVP Player Trophy. Chase Buford for the Lindsay Gaze Coach of the Year Award. It continues on with the kind of form and season that the Sydney Kings in particular have been having, but the game itself has also been having. The chairman and co-owner of the Kings, Paul Smith, is on the line. G'day, Paul. Hey, Matty. How are you, mate? Good, thank you, mate. Congratulations. The NBL uh, minor premiership is wrapped up. It's been a massive season. Job not done yet. What's your season summary so far, the bigger picture from from your chair in the organisation? Yeah, look, it's a look. Thank you, and and look, we appreciate the support that SEN gives us, and the amount of coverage we get from you guys. So it's been a great contribution to our success. So thank you, and look, you know, we've had a we've had a very very good year. Um, I think it's sort of on court. It sort of played out to in the sense that we were we probably spent a, the first third of the year finding our way. You know, getting the team to know themselves, and then second third of the year, sort of getting into gear. And this final third of the year, we've uh, we've sort of really clicked in. So we're heading in the right direction. You don't win championships in October or November or December. You win them in March in, in, in this business. So where we're at right now is starting to head towards that, that playoff period and putting the dog days behind us. So, yeah, that's good. And then on court, off court, I'm sorry, it's extraordinary. The, with the amount of uh, the attendances, the amount of support we've received is just incredible. We're humbled by it. And I can assure everyone that's been to a game or those who are even considering it, the players, absolutely appreciate and understand the support they're getting is important to them and it's important to the entire club. Yeah, and Paul, I wanted to talk to you about that on a broader sense as well because the NBL itself is lifting and, and the Sydney Kings, like you say, I mean, the numbers are are amazing. You've, you've had almost 150,000 fans at Kudos Bank Arena so far. We continue to get these big, big crowds and we're getting text messages, mate. I had one yesterday from a listener just who just decided to jump on the text line and shout out to your organisation for having a ripping night. They went out there, their first NBL experience, and it was great. So my question to you is, why? Why have you hit the mark as a, as a club, and why has the NBL hit the mark, and how have you done that so far this season? How has it turned around for the game in Australia? Oh, mate, look, that's a, that's a complex menu of options to consider there. Um, you know, look, I'd like to think it's just purely down to the ownership of the Sydney Kings, but it's not. <laughs> it's not that at all. It's, a, it's a, look, it's oh, look, it's a it's a perfect storm. And you look, honestly, if you if you could put your finger on one thing and say that's the button we press and it'll keep going and it'll keep going up, we'll press it all day. But it's it's like playing a piano, mate. You've got to be across the, all eighty eight keys to get this right. And it's a combination of factors. I think. Honestly, I think Christmas, the Christmas night game triggered, I think, a lot of awareness of the Sydney Kings. And I do believe that a lot of people sat down and watched an NBL game for the first time in a long time and got a sense of the experience and the stage we set at, at Kudos Bank Arena for basketball. It's an incredible experience. And, and your feedback you got from your, your listener yesterday is, is a common theme that I get. I don't get people coming up and saying, I had a terrible day out. They say, and I'm coming back. And, and we're seeing that in repeat business, people coming back again and again and again. Basketball as a sport generally is on the rise. We know that. It's a genuinely growing sport. Um, and it's, you know, participation rates are up, players up, outdoor basketball. You know, the, the bellwether for me, Matt, is you walk around your neighbourhood 
and suddenly backboards are in driveways. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that I look at. And, you know, I go, okay, I can see them everywhere. You see parks full, backboards being used by kids and adults and families. It's it's a really, really positive thing. And, look, and frankly, the NBA drives a lot of that. Um, it drives a lot of that awareness and, and viewership, and that's important for us. We're not anti the NBA. NBA we're pro it. You know, we think it's a great thing to drive our sport. And in fairness, the, the NBL itself, I think, has identified itself as a it's 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 a it's a great competition. Uh, it's a very physical play. It's a, it's an experience that the fans can get into. And you know, I think also the fact that the league itself is just moving into that you know that it's heading in the right direction. It's heading north. So there's just a lot of factors there that are coming together, mm. and you know we we couldn't be more excited about our, our ownership of the club and what we're doing, and you know and the opportunities and the feedback we're getting. It's good, Paul, because you know we, we spend a lot of we're a sports station, right? So we spend a lot of time mm. picking apart things that aren't working, and the fact is that this is working across the board. And I go back to one of your predecessors, Mike Roblevsky, who, you know, throughout the days back at the old Sydney Entertainment Centre, used to do the things like. Okay, we've got a whole stack of people on this side of the court, but we need them on that side of the court because it makes the TV cameras look like there's a lot of people here. So here's one for you. Have you ever walked around Kudos Bank Arena in your position going, righto, what else can we... I'm sure you do this on a on a regular basis, but do you walk around going, what else can we do to take ourselves to the next level? Because you could easily just sit there and go, you know what, we're getting the sixth largest crowd here, the biggest crowd, we're getting... Christmas Day, we're doing everything right. But, you know, if you sit on your hands, it can come to a stop pretty quickly. Yeah, look, we do. Please, let me assure everyone, we critically analyse the experience. And, and look, we do so in concert with the venue. We don't own the venue. We don't run the venue. So the, 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 the customer experience is very much created by the factors that are out of our control. Um, but, you know, we know that, you know, what we're trying to find is that positive balance between, you know, creating an experience that appeals to all ages and all categories. Um, so, you know, DJs, we, we, we've been trying different formats and different entertainment, half times, all sorts of things, trying to sort of find the thing that clicks. And once it clicks, we know we can keep repeating that and, and improving it all the time. But we don't rest on that. But fundamentally, what we do know, Matt, is we've got to have a competitive team. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is Sydney. I always say it's a winner's town and, you know, we appreciate the support and, but we know that if we're not producing the product on court, then everything else, everything else is a sideshow. And so the fundamental principle of what we focus on now, and we have been for quite a few years now in my ownership has been what is the long-term trajectory of the club and how do we create a culture in, within the, 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 the basketball side of our business that creates a, a formula that means that players want to come and play in Sydney. And players want to play in Sydney for a number of reasons. They want to play here because they can they can improve, they can get better, they can win championships, but they also have a great stage to play on and the fans appreciate them. And so it's just a it's just a combination of things. We continue it's a cocktail and we'll continue to shake it up and try to improve it. And you know, where we get it right, we'll do more of it. And where we get it wrong, we'll put it down as an experiment that failed. Um, but right now, we're heading in the, we're in a, we're in a really good place. Good on you, Paul. Great to catch up with you. Congratulations on everything so far. Like you say, that the, the championship's not won, you know, this weekend. You're on the road no. against Adelaide and then the Wildcats. So the big trip is well, is ahead of you. 
It's a big one this weekend, mate. We could put both Adelaide and Perth to sleep this weekend, which would make it a very special weekend for me because I'm going on the trip with the boys. Oh, you're on the road as well. Good on you. Enjoy that trip. We'll continue to follow uh, the Kings and the NBL because, like I say, it is one of those good news stories in the world of sport. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, mate. See you, mate. Best of luck. The chairman and co-owner of the Sydney Kings is Paul Smith, and they're on the prowl for back-to-back championships. As you know, like I say, the crowds are packing in. So your chance to be a part of history for the semifinals uh, when they swing around to Kudos Bank Arena. Tickets go on sale next Tuesday at uh, 10 a.m. via Ticketex. So just keep your eyes peeled for that. For our Queensland listeners, the Bullets against the Breakers on Saturday night is where that's at. So the Kings on top of the table, minor premiership. Second, uh, the Cairns Taipans. Third, the Breakers. Fourth, the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. Then it's the Wildcats, Phoenix, Melbourne, 36ers, Bullets and Hawks. That's the uh, the table so far after, what, 26 or 27, depending on who you are, games played. Our thanks to Paul Smith. 0457 736 736. A shout-out for Tommy. So Brett says it's a make-or-break year for 2AM Tommy. Hoping for a big year. Well, he's always hoping for a big year. Um I mean, I guess one of the biggest things, Brett, is that we managed to get him out of the Sporting Globe yesterday because I'm thinking that yesterday Tommy came down with the guise of, oh, we're doing a outside broadcast and I'll be there to produce, knowing full well there were two full-blown games of NFL to watch and chicken wings coming his way and also knows that, what is it, Monday week, Super Bowl, 57, place to be, Sporting Globe. I'm thinking Tommy was just going to park it there until the end of Super Bowl 57. But Brett says, make or break, no narkiness this year, mate. Come on. He's only narky when he needs to be, Tommy. He only fires up when he has to. Is that the listener saying that they're not going to be narky No, to Tommy? No, or no, no. I think are they that's, asking for less narky? No, I think that's Brett saying just back off on the oh, narky. right, okay. Yeah. It can go both ways. I'll defend Tommy here. Well, oh, no, ways. we'll always defend Tommy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes you've got to defend the indefensible. <laughs> <laughs> but, Brett, I'll just say this. Um, we're 30 days away until the season starts. So the narkiness will go in accordance um, with the Roosters' performance. So Roosters lose. Jeez, Mondays are tough, aren't they? Roosters win. Mondays are fine. And then phew, down she goes again. 0457 736 736 is that text line. Thank you for that, Brett. Or 1300 01 1170. Back after this. Uh, Tony on the text line, not happy with the Cricket Awards last night. The worst television spectacle ever. Uh, Apart from Usman's comedy, the show was a big disappointment. Surely with all the money in the world cricket, uh, in world cricket, Channel 7 could put on something that resembles professional TV, cringeworthy stuff. Um, I, I didn't see it, Tony, but I will say this. Awards nights, I would hardly put in the category of TV spectacles. Full stop. I mean, if you can't make the Oscars not boring, how on earth have you got the, the ability to do that? And, and are they needed? I mean, do we do we need to see them? It's it's all part of the deal. When the deal's done, you know what we'll do? We'll show your awards night. I think it's great that um, they're getting the recognition, absolutely. But I, I certainly wouldn't, and no disrespect to those getting awards and the awards themselves, but I certainly wouldn't be switching on an awards night, no matter what it is, to watch a TV spectacle. Um, I don't know. If you saw it last night, let me know. 
Although we did play this morning some of the audio from Uzi Kawaja. We played you Steve Smith's speech, Beth Mooney as well. We've heard from her and Mitchell Stark um, speaking to Fox Sports about his injury. So, I mean, there's some good stuff that came out of it. And you're right, Uzi was a comedy act. We played you a bit of that earlier this morning. He was taking pot shots left, right and centre. Funny man. Um, TV spectacle? No, don't think I'd go there. Uh, Matty, it's an obvious one, make or break, but the Tigers halves, Luke Brooks and Adam Dewey, this is something we posed this morning. Both have played behind average packs for years now, says Glenn. They can use that excuse this year. Uh, they can't use that excuse this year with a number of huge improvements in the forwards. All the talk out of the Tigers is the focus is on attack, which will suit both players. Both are off contract this year as well. Massive make or break season for these guys. Love the shows, says Glenn. Thank you very much for that. Um, two there, two players of many and two coaches, essentially. I mean, Tim Sheen's in charge and there's Benji being groomed to take over. You're right. The focus is on attack. The signs are good um, that it, that's coming out of Concord and everything's building. So we could probably put coaches, we could put uh, players that you've just mentioned and some others and club itself all facing a bit of make or break. Here's the news. Bondi Jack, we're talking about make or break. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you the, um, you, you've broken Rory McElroy in this one. Matt, Rory McElroy is a cockroach. <laughs> and believe me, folks, there's more. There's more after that. At no point did this sanctimonious hypocrite acknowledge the existence of Patrick Reed. Shmami Rory stated, I never considered the chasing pack. For God's sake, Reed led him twice. If Rory takes a one-foot hop into the lake on 18 or his final putt doesn't fluke the missing lip, he chokes from four shots up, just like in the Cam Smith Open. Cheers, says Bondi Jack. Uh, I take it, Bondi Jack, you're not a fan of Rory. Could we, <laughs> could we surmise that? Bondi Jack, we might have to put you in the middle of these negotiations between the NRL and the RLPA. The say it like it is. Um, I, look, I, I've seen and I've... I followed the story and then I saw some back and forth on social media. I watched a bit of it last night, but I didn't get to the end there. But I know what happened, obviously. Um, and Rory McIlroy ends up winning in Dubai by one shot over Patrick Reed, And we go back to the old tea-throwing incident. So there's more to it on that Bondi Jack. I, I'm not in anyone's camp. I know this much. Patrick Reed is not well-liked. Um, he's just not well-liked for a whole stack of reasons. Rory also pointed out that when Patrick Reed um, took legal action against a whole stack of players, that he was subpoenaed, Rory was subpoenaed on Christmas Day. So knock, knock, knock on the door. Here's your legal letter. Sorry to interrupt your lunch with your family on Christmas Day, Rory. Uh, by the way, this is from Mr. Reed, comma, P. So how do you reckon that went down? Not too well. And I think Rory's in a position now in his life and clearly in his game where he doesn't give a flying you-know-what about anyone else. And if he wants to speak his mind, well, he does, but those that he um, doesn't want to spend any time with, if he wants to speak his mind, then he certainly will. The fact that they went head-to-head -head at the end of it is kind of cool. And also the fact that Patrick Reed's was it in the third round, the shot that went into the tree, went into the palm tree, and they broke it down frame by frame by frame, and it clearly went into the tree on the right-hand side of the camera, and by the time Reed got down there, he said it went onto the tree in the left-hand side. So there's a whole stack of reasons. At the end of the day, Rory won. 
And I did also read after the first round that he said that it was blown out of proportion a little bit and also said that he was the one that told Patrick Reed outside the hotel that there was going to be a weather delay. So there was some talk back and forth, um, but he's now won the Dubai Desert Classic for the third time over Patrick Reed. Um, incredible. Just incredible the way that it panned out. But, gee, um, Bondi Jack just come from both hips when you're firing in that text message. Make or break, uh, according to Brett here, Tyrone Peachy, Josh Schuster, Ellie Katoa, and Jackson Hastings. Uh, it's going to be a big one for the latter on that one. Here's one says make or break from McHugh, your man Tommy. McHugh says Brad Fittler. I think if he loses this year's origin, he's got to go. Really think he should have gone after last year's loss. So, Tommy. You're back with your two cents on the table. You're not so. Uh, I agree you, with McHugh there. Well, hang on. You, you also you disagree with me and the Oscars. So you what you like the Oscars? I love Manny. I love the Oscars. What? Because Will Smith slapped Chris Rock? Or? Well, I'm a cinephile. I go to the movies well, all the time. But I, so am I. I like talking about. I, I love about cricket. Movies. I don't really like cricket awards. Yeah, but you just say it's a collection of all these people that you admire, the movies that you see, they make you laugh, they make you cry, and they're all in one room. Yeah. At the same time, for about three, three and a half hours, it's great. So you can get through the whole... Yeah, 100%. Really? Um, yeah, I love it. I love watching it. Do you get through the whole Dallium Awards? Yeah, but they're fast. I mean, the Dallium Awards, the voting system is just ridiculous in the first place. So, you know. Right. I mean, so that's a TV spectacle, I don't care about the TV spectacle. I just like the awards and I like movies, so I'm going to watch it. I yeah. like the NRL, even though I don't like the Dallium Award... Voting system, I'm going to watch the Dallium Awards. You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. I don't like the way the Roosters play. I'm going to watch them. Yeah. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? Hey, I agree with McHugh there. Uh, Blues lose. Freddie should go. That's, um, sorry. I think well, we won in 18, 19, lost the unlosable series in 2020, absolutely smashed them in 2021, and then we capitulated last year, I thought, in 2022. I mean, Billy Slater. With all due respect to Billy Slater, it was his first year coaching origin. First year coaching origin, and he outcoached Brad Fittler. So if we lose again, I agree with McHugh there. Probably Blue should find another coach. That might be a bit too harsh, but hey, that's just my opinion. It's make or break. Morning, Bulldog Bob. Um, I'm going to pose this question to you, Tommy. Matty, if Moses does make the jump back to the West Tigers, who did the Eels have for number seven in 2024? Surely, according to Bulldog Bob, not Jacob Arthurs. So which half is coming off contract after this year, apart from Flanagan? Well, I think that Jacob Arthurs is your man. I mean, he's he's the man most likely if Mitchell Moses moves on. But who is out? Who is out there? Uh, simply not a lot. You look at the off-contract list. So you've got guys like, as we mentioned, Carl Flanagan, uh, Brandon Wakeham, who's with the Tigers, Sean Johnson, who's just getting older each year, Drew Hutchison, Cooper Johns, Adam Clune, Jack Cogger. So you read those names out. None of those guys. None of the none of those guys there. Uh, guys, you want you want as your seven week in, week out. But as we saw in the offseason with a guy like Jackson Hastings, players can move in and out of contracts as much as they can. And speaking of Jackson Hastings, uh, David Riccio is reporting from the Daily Telegraph this morning that Lockie Miller, Cronulla Sharks, full bash slash winger, has bid farewell to his Cronulla teammates. Did that yesterday afternoon, and he's going to join uh, the Newcastle Knights as early as today. He's going to try. He's going to commence training immediately, uh, cognizant that the key spines players have little time to gel. As we mentioned, thirty days until the start of the NRL season. Okay, so, so 
So he's done at Cronulla. He's, he's done at Cronulla. He's gone to the Newcastle Knights. He's gone in a swap deal so for a young promising prop called Max Bradbury, right. who was a New South Wales under-19s prop who's got a lot of raps on him. So Sharks fans, you still get an, a, a good prospect in Max Bradbury, who's an up-and-coming uh, prop who has played for the New South Wales under 19. Yeah. So, so that was the that was the sticking point, wasn't yes. it? Because the Lockie Miller story came up a couple of weeks ago, and it was ready to go, but there was the detail of a player swap needed to take place. Yes. And so then they obviously had to Cronulla. identify. So they've come up with Bradbury. Yes, Max and, Bradbury, and he's going to come down to Cronulla. I like the player swap. So do I. I player swaps are it's cool. So Trades. easy. Awesome. Yeah. Hundred percent. I'm all for it. Uh, now you and who was it? You and uh, Gary from Newtown. Yes. You posed from the three coaches that are under pressure the most for the 2023 season. So Adam O'Brien, Justin Holbrook, and Anthony Griffin from the Dragons. And you said, "All right, when is kind of when's the key date for those three coaches? About when are they going to be on the chopping block? You know, we don't like talking about it, but that's part and parcel. It's, you got to be a real realistic when it comes to these things. So. Um, Anthony Griffin, I'm going to go with by round seven. So 26, so that's a third, of, that's a quarter of the season gone, round seven. So, or just just before a quarter of the season gone. I mean, he's had two very underwhelming seasons with the Dragons. Um, yes, it is going to be tough on him. I will give him a, a little bit of leeway because obviously Cody Ramsey, it's confirmed he's done for the years to succumbed to that that really unlucky um, illness. Jaden Sullivan, although some recent reports says he might be available for round one, he's dealing with a hamstring injury. And Junior Ramon, who knows when he's going to be back. He's currently under the no-fault stand-down policy. But I'm going to give round seven, round eight for Anthony Griffin. Justin Holbrook, um, midway mark of the year. I'm going to give him till round 13. So there's 26 rounds uh, this NRL season in 2023. I'm going to give him until round 13. He's got Kieran Four in there. So he's got the guy... Got the veteran playmaker, got the guy who can lead them and lead this young team. Um, Sam Verrills, who's a premiership winning hooker, used to play for the Roosters. He just needs some luck. I've still got a lot of stock in Sam Verrills, just needs a lot of luck with injuries. He's been, he's had a horror, horror run with injuries. And a key thing, when you talk about someone like David Fafita, a lot of journals like throwing this around as well. He's in a contract year. So... And we all know the pay packet that he's on 1.1 or 1.2 million. Who knows? He's been he's been courted by the Raiders. He's met with Ricky Stewart down there in Canberra. So we know other teams are going to be interested. All, teams are always going to be interested. But it's a matter of how far down is he going to drop in terms of his contract value. I think he's going to go to another level this year and hopefully match his, his ability that he did in 2021. He scored 17 tries in 2021. was a key part about why they played in the finals that year. Um, so I think he can go even better this year. But if they don't perform by round 13 and say they're what, I don't know, four and nine, then the pitchforks are going to be out for Justin Holbrook. Because you've got to remember, they they made the finals in 2021 with a 10 and 14 record. So yes, it still says on Justin Holbrook's resume, made finals. But you made finals in a terrible, terrible year when the comp was drastic. You know, the difference between first and eighth was on a whole nother level. And then Adam O'Brien... I think it gets unfairly criticised. Last year was his re- first really, really bad year. They finished, what, 14th. But again, a lot of injuries. Callum Ponga, their marquee guy, was out for a long time with concussion. I'll give him until the end of the season because a lot of things are changing for the Knights. We only just mentioned there, Lockie Miller, they're only going to going to get a full month of preseason with that spine. He's going to be their fullback. Callum Ponga's got a big move from fullback to 5'8". They've got a new halfback in Jackson Hastings. They've got some new forwards in Adam Elliott 
and Jack Hetherington. Some other guys have moved on. So I will give him until the end of the year. If they can squeeze into the eight, I don't know about if they can, but if they can, then it's a massive success for O'Brien. Um, but they could finish 11th and, mm. and still be a good, still have a good year. It's just a matter of how they're playing and how they're looking by, the, by September, I guess. Uh, Steve from Waraknabil says, if Mitchell Moses does go, it's clearly money-driven, not premiership ring-driven. As a true para fan, I hope he enjoys Concord. Brown to seven, Gutho to six. I wouldn't mind that, actually, Brown to seven, Gutho to six, because then you could look at some other guys like Ding Ding Ding, one Joey Manu. Not next year, but the year after yeah. in 2025. Yeah. So you can pay him big money. Because I, I think Gutho, I think Gutho would be a natural six. I think he has that ability to go into a natural six. So or you could go Dane Laurie, get him a fullback too. So some interesting things going to happen with Mitch Moses. By the way, and, and this is this sort of goes back to our point of not knowing all the details around, in this case, the RLPA, the NRL. We, we know some of it. I've done some further digging around Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed and that lawsuit and the subpoena. The subpoena was served on him on Christmas Eve by a bloke called Larry Clayman who's an attorney filing lawsuits against the PGA Tour and European Tour um, for the suspended players who've signed with Live Golf. And remember, Rory's anti-Live. Yes, hates Live. But Patrick Reed's not involved in that lawsuit. So it came from the fact that this attorney also represents Patrick Reed in lawsuit, other lawsuits against media outlets, but not that one that rankled Rory on Christmas Day. How many lawsuits has Patrick Reed got going? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, had that T, you know, really done some damage mm-hmm. that he threw at oh, Rory yeah. on the... Totally. Yeah. 0457-736-736 is the text line number, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Our open line number. We'll take a break. Take your calls after this. It struck me while we were just chatting uh, footy there for no other particular reason than I was looking up at our monitors and watching ESPN um, as around the Roman numerals attached to Super Bowl. So Super Bowl 57 LVII will be it because that is the Roman numeral number um, represented as 57. And I went, why? I, I'm sure there's an answer to the question of why Roman numerals are used when it comes to Super Bowl. I and mean, when you think about America in particular and American sports, their number's mad. So they've gone the complete opposite way. Now, the reason was, and it was introduced at Super Bowl V. So Super Bowl V was the first one to use the Roman numeral V. And then what they did in the history books after that, they, they sort of backtracked and went one through to four in Roman numerals. The reason was is because the Super Bowl is played the year following the chronological season. So Super Bowl that's being played in a week's time is essentially off the back of the 2022 season. So it was very, they thought it was going to be confusing. So hence they put in the Roman numerals numbers, um, uh, letters rather, to signify the numbers. So we're up to 57. And then one popped out at me too. So jump on board and see if you've got an answer to this. No Google. Do not Google this. There was one Super Bowl game that they didn't use Roman numerals alongside of. What was it and why? Let us know. Have we got a signet? Yep. We've got a few signets uh, here. So let us know. Give me a call and see if you can bust that little mystery. It only just popped up. It's got nothing to do with anything that we've been talking about this morning. 
but it just hit my mind and I got to the bottom of it while I was Dr. Googling, but you're not allowed to in this one. I do have a question here about Mount Smart Stadium from one of our listeners. Can we have an update? Uh, got flooded in the New Zealand floods over there with apparently more rain to come. So the cleanup underway, um, it received more than 260 millimetres, 260 millimetres of rain on Friday. Um, but the facilities of the New Zealand Warriors, the offices, the equipment, etc., were not impacted. So that's good news. So they'll be cleaning up that. Um, the first home game, the first home game of the preseason challenge will be on Thursday, Feb 9. So what's that next Thursday? So uh, plenty of time for them to drain the system. I mean, how many times have we seen uh, Suncorp Stadium in particular with those heavy floods up there at Brisbane go under and then bingo, it just vanishes. So they'll manage to clean that up. And the important part there is, and thank you for that question on our text line, but the important part there is that the offices, the equipment, everything else um, that could have been damaged hasn't been damaged. So let's hope that the rain backs off from them and that they can get it all sorted ground-wise in terms of the first pre-season challenge game on Thursday there at Mount Smart Stadium. Uh, 0457736736. Matty, I don't get why Ponga's going into six where he failed last time. Good player but overpaid and overrated on the back of Maddie's, uh, Maddie Johns's talk-up, says Dennis the dog. Uh, quite a few have been talking up the, the skills of Kalen Ponga. It's make or break, no question. Moving into number, number six, even for a high-profile, high-paid player like him, team leader like him, now he's in that position where he's completely and utterly in the microscope. Uh, keep those thoughts coming. Need to take a break. Then we'll get to the answers about which Super Bowl did they not use the Roman numerals for. A bit of an impromptu, a promptu Tuesday morning quiz has got you a little bit stumped this morning. So which Super Bowl is the one that they decided not to use Roman numerals for? Uh, Popeye says Super Bowl 30. Um, a same shout out from Ben listening in. Uh, in Brizzy, Super Bowl 30. No, Tony says Super Bowl 30 because it was XXX. Uh, no, they used that. Um, Stu says, was it Super Bowl 38 because too many letters were needed? No, it was Super Bowl 50. And they decided not to use the Roman numeral because it is L and the designers, the marketers, went, that's just a little bit unattractive and unmarketable, Super Bowl L just isn't, doesn't grip. So they went for the number 50 and then they went back to Roman numerals. So there you go. That's a good one to finish off this hour. Big final hour of the program coming up. Welcome back to the final hour of the program. Simon Hill will join me very soon. So we'll get Simon's uh, take on Football Australia re-signing Graham Arnold, as we told you yesterday, four-year deal to the end of 2026 and the detail around that. Also overseeing the development of uh, our other leading coaches across the Ollie Roos, the Young Socceroos and the Joeys as well. The global game tonight from 9 o'clock. Um, Broski is back with Simon Hill as well. On the text line, morning, Matt, we hear one thing, then another thing. Each time this NRL and players dispute continues. I'm beginning to think you can smell the BS from both sides of the dispute. If there is to be a strike by players, well, so be it. Both sides have to build a bridge and get over it. If not, well, too bad. I'm really over it. Well, that's similar to... Uh, our caller that we had earlier today. Everybody's getting a little bit over the detail and just want to start focusing on the footy. I don't know how much damage is actually being done with players not taking part in NRL media shoots and 
um, the possibility of not th- them not being there for the season launch. I mean, it's not a good look. I don't know how much damage is going to be done. Damage would be, in my opinion, if there's strike. And that's when there's um, sometimes damage that's very hard to come back from. On that, let's go to the open line. Sharky, your say on where we're at in these negotiations. Maybe you've got a couple of minutes. Yeah, go for it, mate. I've got Simon Hill waiting for me, so be quick if you can. All right. Miss Darby, have goes claim you know money in rugby league trying to save the game from going broke. That's a perfectly business plan to get the public side in your vote. This game will never go broke, and I'll tell you what. TV organisations are always going to fork out big money for it because Channel 9, let's say they get thrown a million dollars a year out of age and whatever for rugby league, they can't afford to do that. Paramount will come in, in a few years' time. Next year, I'll have money. Uh, That's oh, oh, oh. Sorry, Sharky. Going to have to let you go, mate. Sorry, mate. You're in, a, you're in an absolute wind tunnel. I'll see if Mark can have a chat to you offline, but we're going nuts listening to the uh, cyclone that you're standing in. J- just one point on that, Sharky. Just, just one point which he made there about the TV money. Um, the game won't go broke because of the TV money. So, in theory, that's right. The TV networks have a lot of money to spend. They have a lot of money to spend. That's the key part. But have a look at what happened around COVID in particular. And let's not forget, too, that you don't have to go too far back, um, back to the days of of David Gingell. Just remember, Channel 9 in particular, we're, we're, we're on the brink. We're on the brink of going under. So it's not unfathomable to say that a TV network could go under. And if that TV network has the bulk of your money coming from it to you, what happens to your game? What I'm saying is you can't have all your eggs in one basket. And that was what they learned, the biggest one of the biggest lessons learned out of everything that unfolded off the back of COVID, et cetera. That's why they're now invested in a pub. In Brizzy. That's why they're buying other assets to make sure that they just don't have one income stream and what happens if that goes. Now, we all sit here and say that TV networks are always going to be around. Believe me, Sharky, I've been at the forefront of them and I can tell you how close they can go to tipping over in a heartbeat. And they've all got contracts. So if they tip over, what happens next? Where do you get that money from? That's just one point. There's a whole stack of other points on that. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Thanks for your call, Sharky. Sorry, mate, we couldn't hear you properly on that one, but I think you got your point across there and happy to take your call if we can uh, get things properly re-established. Make or break for Josh Schuster, says Andrew from Newcastle. Thank you, Andrew. You're the second or third um, to throw that one out there. Who is in the frame for a make or break year? Uh, morning, Matt. For Peter Volandis and Abdo to say that they're doing a great job with the women's comp, well... We're not hearing that from the clubs and the players. So I've said time and again, this is a big issue. This is a really big side of this issue is the state of the women's game and where it's at. Now, Andrew Abdo has pointed out this morning that it was the RLPA who asked the NRL not to release the NRLW draw. And according to Andrew Abdo, it's the NRL that wants to take the NRLW, to 12 teams in the future. And at the moment, the Players Association are saying no. So what they're, what they're trying to, to do here from the Players Association side, as far as I can gather, is say, well, hang on a second. We can't agree to this because our players don't have anything in front of them. I don't know what they're signing up for. In fact, there's nothing to sign up for at the moment. 
So that's the situation that we're in. Matty, what about Rory McElroy last night? His quote read, Patrick Reed. I never even looked or acknowledged the chasing players. Yes, yeah, somebody else has said this one, Matt. Um, uh, I think it was Bondi. It was Bondi Jack, wasn't it? <laughs> You're a little bit kinder, Matt, than Bondi Jack, who came out with the baseball bat. Although you have said that the guy's a goose. Would love to see a celebrity pay-per-view fight, Norman or Reed versus McElroy. <laughs> I mean, I'd put that up there with awards nights as TV spectacles. Got nothing against awards nights, but not something that I'd want to, you know, pay to watch on Netflix, for instance. And a celebrity fight, who would you back in that? Just just thinking out loud. Who would you back if it was the Shark versus Patrick Reed or Rory versus Patrick Reed? Hmm, that's an interesting one. Um, Shark's pretty fit as he keeps showing us and telling us. Rory... Looks as though he's, he can take the angry pills. And I don't know what Patrick Reed's scenario would be. Um, aside from the fact that not too many people out there in uh, the golfing game seem to like him too much. Special guests tonight on the global game will be Adelaide United keeper Joe Gauchi and Sydney FC midfielder Max Burgess. So as I've pointed out, and Simon will be joining us soon, the currently ranked 27th Socceroos in the world will continue to have Graham Arnold uh, leading them for the next four years. So this news came out yesterday and it was rubber stamped yesterday afternoon. The end of 2026, so it takes you through to the next end of the next World Cup cycle, but also overseeing the other levels below the Socceroos levels. And that is an important one. So too confirmation that Stadium Australia, so out there at Homebush, will be the opening match of the FIFA Women's World Cup starting in July. And it'll be Australia versus the Republic of Ireland. It was set to be at Allianz Stadium, but it was a no-brainer in the end, wasn't it? Allianz might be nice and shiny and new. However, it ain't as big as Stadium Australia and the tickets um, that will go on sale will be, and had have already been on sale rather, will be notified that there will be a change and they'll get more people. It'll be a bigger stage. So that was an obvious one. Simon Hill is on the line. Good morning to you, mate. So, Graham Arnold, the deal's done. In your opinion, good deal. Four years takes us to the end of 26. Uh, it's a very good deal, particularly for Graham Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> and especially if you, uh, if you believe the amount of money that's uh, been put in front of him. Uh, but, yeah, look, you know, on a serious note, I think Arnie's earned uh, you know, that extended contract. Um, the, the four-year cycle obviously takes into the end of uh, the World Cup in 2026, which will be in the US, Canada and Mexico. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think many people will, will have too many complaints after what they did in Qatar, however surprising it might have been uh, at the time. And this gives uh, you know, the national team the chance to have continuity. The players you know, clearly love Arnie and respect him. Uh, he, he knows the game in this country inside out. And I guess the you know the other thing, and this is not being disrespectful to Arnie, but it, the other thing uh, from Football Australia's point of view is if they if they weren't going to renew the contract, where else were they going to go? Yeah. Um, and domestically, I don't think there are an awful lot of other candidates that would you know stand out, uh, which means you're looking at overseas, which can be disruptive, can be expensive. Uh, and is normally a short-term fix. So I, I think it makes sense for all parties concerned. Uh, the, the one thing I, I worry a little bit uh, for Arnie, you know, on a personal level, is that had he uh, gone elsewhere on the back of this, you know, his legacy would be secure. Now, we all know that football goes in cycles and, uh, 
you know, he's king of the hill at the moment, and rightly so. If they have a poor raging cup, you know, he'll he'll be back under pressure. But that's just the nature of football. Mm. And uh, I'm sure Arnie understands that. He's He's been in this game long enough to know it. And, uh, I, you know, I, th- I think overall it's, it's a good uh, deal for him and a good deal uh, for the national team. Jimmy Smith is going to have a chat with Graham Arnold on his show a little bit later on this afternoon. So I guess we'll get more answers. But did you hear, and, and we had this chat the other week, didn't we, about... Okay, if it's not Graham Arnold, then who for the Socceroos? But what about the flip side? If it wasn't the Socceroos for Graham Arnold, did you did you get any insight into where perhaps he he may have landed another job? Well, I mean, he said he had interest in Europe and uh, in Asia, particularly I think the Middle East. Um, now, obviously, you know the Middle East has a lot of money, which would have probably made him financially secure. Whether he wants to live in that part of the world, whether he wants to take on a job that uh, is normally pretty volatile in that region. You know, your last six months, if you don't win, you're normally out on your ear with uh, a nice compensation package, but uh, back looking for work. So uh, I I think, you know, he would have been interested in the European gigs, and I have no insight as as to what they were. Um, You know, I I don't know if it would have been, for example, English Premier League. I suspect perhaps not. Uh, Maybe it may be in a different league on the continent. Of course, Arnie played in Belgium for a long time um, and Holland as well. So, you know, maybe one of the low countries uh, uh, clubs that maybe remember him, of course, from his playing days and were impressed by what he did at the World Cup, were interested. But uh, no, only Arnie knows. Yes. The truth, and I'm sure he's not going to tell people publicly <laughs> because, yeah, that will be a breach of confidence. Yeah, and he's played that game before. I mentioned just as you were jumping on the phone, the the move by, um, well, the FIFA Women's World Cup to put the Matildas opening match at Stadium Australia. I mean, this was a essentially a no-brainer, really, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I think we all know what's going to happen. Do you think that's a fair way to put it in terms of the amount of support that will roll in when this Women's World Cup gets underway? Well, put it this way, if every seat isn't sold, then uh, I'll want to know why. Uh, I I can't imagine that it'll be anything other than a sellout. I mean, you know, World Cups are once-in-a-lifetime opportunities uh, in our sports, and uh, to have it in Australia is incredible. And, of course, you know, the national team, uh, the Matildas are very popular in this country, and, you know, we we believe they've got a chance of, of having a very good World Cup. So... Uh, the other thing, of course, is that they're playing Ireland in that opening game. And we know that there are probably uh, quite a few Irish expats who live in Australia as well. So I, I don't think there'll be any issue in selling out the game. And, and as you rightly say, mate, it's uh, it's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you put it at the biggest stadium, sell it out, get the tournament off to a really cracking start? And uh, and hopefully the Matildas you know, can get the three points as well. Yeah, ranked 12th in the world at the moment. So that first one is July 20. And and I touched on this yesterday. We didn't touch on it, but I, I tried to get as much information around the one-day situation as I could yesterday at Amy Park. So we know breaks his leg, which was just horrible, snapped his leg. And, and there was this very specific reason why there was no ambulance there. They don't have static ambulances on site in Victoria, a decision that was made back in 2018. Yeah. So he was getting the care. He just wasn't getting the transport within you know, the word go. So that's the situation and that's the best way to put it. Um, I guess my initial take was something that we've also discussed as well is, well, gee, there's a bad look for that one. And, and you were calling that, weren't you? So, you know, it's, it's a bad look for the game, but it's all, it's almost one of those situations that 
I don't know how you fix or how you control or how you even plan on this may or may not happen. Well, I don't think you can, to be honest. Uh, you know, all the information that's come to light, and obviously this is a situation that thankfully doesn't happen uh, too often, mm. um, but all the information that's come to light after this event uh, was news to me. You know, I'd, I always was of uh, the assumption that ambulances were necessities at uh, sporting events. Now, clearly that's changed, at least in Victoria, uh, since 2018. Yeah. Uh, and probably exacerbated by the pandemic where, you know, those ambulances are needed for life-threatening situations. And look, that's probably fair enough. I, I, you know, I'm no expert in, in uh, the resources of the health system. Um, although the, the one thing I do know is that it's very, very good here in Australia, much better than, you know, what I was used to in, in the UK, for example. And that's no slight on the NHS, by the way. It's just resourcing. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it did seem an awful long time that one day had to wait. Um, now, you know, obviously they gave him the best possible care on the ground. And <clears throat> I'm told, again, that the new regulations are that you have these emergency physicians that are, on the ground who are trained better than paramedics to be able to administer the uh, the pain relief that uh, you know the athletes need in those situations whilst they wait for the transport to arrive um, but I, I do remember thinking you know during that long break and obviously we had to talk all the way through it mm. that uh, you know you're thinking well where's this ambulance you know it should it should be here by now but um, Look, I'm not going to criticise the health system. That they, they do a wonderful job, and uh, you know, all, all I know, or, or from what I've learned over the last 24 hours, is that Funday had his operation that night in Melbourne, and uh, it was a success. Uh, hopefully, it was comfortable because it was it was a horrible, horrible yeah. moment, and uh, you know, hopefully, he can he can resume his his playing career at some point in the future. Yep, yep, well said. All right, you're back on tonight. Broski will be with you. Uh, Joe Gauchi and Max Burgess, special guests on The Global Game. Have a good show. That's it. Cheers, mate. Have a good week. Simon Hill joining us there. Let's have a listen from Graham Arnold yesterday when the ink was put on the paper. Um, the four-year, was it six mil? Uh, and why he decided to stay with the Socceroos. I said to JJ and, and, and the board that if I did stay on, it's something that I want to do to leave a legacy for for men's football, but also uh, to help the kids. So, you know, again, it wasn't just a matter of just signing for the Socceroos. Yes, I looked at other clubs that I could have gone to in, 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 in Europe, had a couple of offers from uh, Middle East nations, but at the end of the day, I want to help Australia. I want to help the kids, but also <clears throat> probably what inspired me the most was seeing those fan sites, seeing how the Socceroos reunited the nation and seeing how many people love Australian football. And uh, just to see that was uh, something, again, that's just driven me even more to, you know, help the game as much as I can over the next three and a half years, not just the Socceroos. Yeah, don't forget Graham Arnold coming up uh, with Jimmy Smith. So a full chat with Jimmy on uh, the back of that signing yesterday, which is big news, very big news. Uh, Stu from Grinola says Rory would need a stepladder <laughs> if you, if it's Rory v. Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed has eight centimetres on Rory McIlroy. Yeah. So eight centimetres taller. Just height. Just height. Just, just height. Don't know the reach. Yeah. Don't have the tail of the tape. Can you, can you just do me a favour? Just, just look up Rory Earnings. Rory earnings. And then Patrick Reed <laughs> earnings. <laughs> Let's see where that goes. Because I guarantee it ain't 
eight centimetres. Uh, Matt says McElroy showed his – gee, there's – people just do not like Rory. I didn't realise how much Rory was in the hole. Into I thought Patrick Reed was the bad guy here. Uh, Rory showed his true colours when he dumped his fiancée, Caroline Wozniacki, via text. On the same day, they sent the wedding invitations out. Uh, Wozniacki definitely dodged a bullet there, says Matt. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, but clearly that just makes him no good. Uh, he also dated, he dated Martina Hingis for a while. Um, I remember being, having the, the absolute privilege of being at the U S open. So it must've been, we did three in a row at channel 10 and it must've been oh one or oh two. And, um, you know, you got all these famous golfers there and Tiger was at his peak and it, you're looking at the big names coming left, right and center. I'm like, there's Martina Hingis. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was back in the day. Uh, now, was it was it Martina that they? Yeah, I have the numbers. Yes, it was Sergio Garcia. One hundred twenty-one million compared to thirty-five million. One hundred twenty-one US. Yep, compared to thirty-five million US. US. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. The old look at the scoreboard. I don't think I'd be stepping in the ring. I'd just go look at the scoreboard, as in the dollar scoreboard. Uh, what's so? What's the issue, folks? What's your issue with Rory? Is it the anti-live stance? Is that is that what gets you? Let me know. Let's dig a bit deeper here. Let's get all Dr. Phil on Rory. I can understand the Patrick Reed thing. Um, that goes back a long, long way. And there's certain instances along the way that Patrick Reed got people out of, uh, got their nose out of joint. But Rory, mm, I mean, he's been a winner. He's He's been a crowd favourite. He's been through everything. And... The only thing I can think of recently, unless I'm missing something absolute, is the anti-lives dance. He's taken on, he's taken on the shark. Maybe that's it. It is 23 minutes after 10 for our Queensland listeners. 23 after 11 for those listening in in Sydney. So still more time for your texts and calls. 0457 736 736 on the text line, or give me a buzz. 1300 1170. Uh, don't forget Super Bowl 57. So Monday week, February 13, uh, we will be, well, we won't have the day off because we'll be watching and working whilst we're watching <laughs> because Jared Waitley will be in charge of the call live from Arizona right here on SEN. Um, and before that, the Australia v India test series ball by ball coverage starting next Thursday, uh, the first test. So all four tests absolutely covered. You can see this is the place that you need to be when you want to hear the biggest sporting events. But Super Bowl 57, so here's the details. Philadelphia v. Kansas City, Eagles v. the Chiefs. The last time the Eagles were at this level at Super Bowl was 2018 when they beat the Patriots. So they're first in five years, but this is their fourth Super Bowl. They've got a one and two record coming into this. Then you've got the Chiefs. Their last Super Bowl, 2020, when they lost to Tampa Bay. Their last win was 2019, when they beat the 49ers. This will be their fifth trip to the big dance, and they are currently at 2-2. Two and two. And like I say, full Super Bowl coverage coming your way right here on SEN. Jared Waitley and the team with the live call. It's a great call as well, so make sure you're tuned in on that. On Super Bowl Monday for us, congratulations to Steve Smith, his fourth Allen Border medal. AB wasn't at the awards last night because of ill health, but he's now a four-time winner and joins Michael Clark and Ricky Ponting on that list. And Belinda Clark Award, the Belinda Clark Award um, for the best player in the women's 
uh, arena goes to Beth Mooney for the second time. So congratulations to both Steve Smith, Beth Mooney and all the award winners from last night's Australian Cricket Awards at Royal Ramwick. Let's break for the news and then a big 30 minutes for the run home for the rest of the show. Thank you for that, Vanessa. Um, we had a chat to Sharky before. Sorry, mate, we just couldn't get you back on the line because of the interference for the wind. And I take your point. Um, you've got an uncle who's been in the TV industry for 50 years and no station you say will go broke. Might get close, but they'll always be saved. Well, that's the hope. That's the hope that there'll always be a saviour. I don't think it's always going to be that way, but I, I think you get my point. And my point was, your point was that the game won't go broke because TV money will be there. My point was, we didn't see COVID coming. We didn't see any of that kind of stuff coming. And what happens if the TV money isn't there? That's the big question when you've got to look down the line. But I'm um, happy to meet you halfway on that one. But believe me, um, if we're all sitting around here in another 20 years and we look up, I don't think the networks as we know it will look the same way as we know it. And that's a totally different tangent. All right, 2 a.m., Tommy. Let's dive into a bit more of this debate on Make or Break Tuesday that we unofficially <laughs> scheduled um, and have gone far and wide from Mitchell Moses to all sorts of players in the mix. Even the bunker got a shout-out. Freddie Fittler got a shout-out in State of Origin. No word on the referees. Well, they're always going to be there, aren't they, the referees? Yeah. So you can't really – I mean, make or break, it's every single game for them. Jared Sutton, Ashley Klein, the list goes on and on. We might have to – can Atkins. we touch base with the refs? Let, let's have a chat with um, some of the refs before the season starts to, to find out how they detune before because they know what's going to come. So if you're a ref right now, oh, yeah. okay? You're, you're, you're enjoying every single day that your name is Correct. not in the news. See what I mean? You're enjoying every single day. But you they, love they, what you do. They'd be, they'd be doing their conditioning, getting the lowdown on. Well, there's no rule changes. They're just rule, what are the amendments? I believe it was. Just some small amendments to the rules. So they begin their heads around that. They begin ready for the preseason challenge, which starts next Thursday. So maybe we need to touch base, touch base either today or this week or, or early next week yeah. before the preseason challenge starts because then – then they're back in the news. Yeah. It's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, that they've got such passion for the job. Um, they love the game. They love their jobs. They work so hard at it. But they'll be sitting around going, oh, well, the silence is gone in two weeks. That's it. It's yeah. it's back on. It's back on, Charlie. I'm going to get I don't, smashed. I don't think there's anyone else in the NRL, in the NRL, like out of all the NRL stakeholders, players, officials, maybe officials, like CEOs, mm. or that have a more sense of relief once they finally, <laughs> the once, once the season's over than the NRL referees. <laughs> Possibly. And all, actually, I got one, Graham Annesley. Yes. Graham Annesley. Doesn't yeah. have to front up every single Monday and explain why this call was made, why this call wasn't made. Did yeah. the referees get this wrong? Yeah. You know, every, every club calling them biased. Got it out for my team. Well, yeah, look. I've said it time and time again. I've got the utmost respect for Graham Annesley for, as a person and as a professional. I just don't think they're needed. I actually don't think that they're needed, those big um, long diatribes on Monday to try and explain what we just saw. Uh, it's, and it's quite often trying to explain the, the, the fact that um, you, you can't explain. I mean, people make errors. So I don't know what we get out of it. Perhaps that's something we do towards the back end of the week. What won't you miss? Or what wouldn't you miss in 2023, in the footy season? What wouldn't you miss if it wasn't there? Would you miss the bunker if it wasn't there? 
what else yeah, would I we would, talk 100%, about? 100% would miss the bunker because you know exactly what would happen at the bunkers there, Matty. That's right. A winning try would get missed and all the fans would be like, where's the bunker? We yeah. put all this money. And I, I would be the same. You need video, video technology. I know a lot of older people don't like it, get rid of it at all. But guess what? The amount of calls and tries, tries especially. Look at all the tries, the amazing tries scored by wingers. Do you think, yeah. they, do you think they're touch judges will be able to catch them live? Hell no. No. No way. No. So you can't get rid of it. Okay. Can you write that down in your little in your little book for yep. tomorrow? And we're going to dive into that tomorrow. So listeners, have a think before we regroup tomorrow morning. What wouldn't you miss if we took it away from season 2023? I reckon that's going to take us down some avenues that we possibly didn't see coming. Uh, Matt on the text line says, regarding trophies and awards named after sports stars, they seem great when the award's named in your honour until you realise you've got to go to the awards night for the rest of your life. That's a good point. I brought this up last week when I was working on the run home with Professor and Barney. I can't remember what awards we were speaking about, but I said, uh, I said, wouldn't it be annoying having to go each year? And they said, they spoke to Hindy once. And he goes, oh, it was great honour, but then I realised I had to be there every single year. <laughs> Rock up in a tux, hand out the award, and you probably just want to sit at home and relax. AB, he's probably, what, he's in his mid to late 60s, I suppose. You did say he wasn't there for, for health reasons, but... Uh, yeah, there's probably at times where you just want to chill at home. Maybe just watch it on TV. <laughs> Send my regards from the couch. <laughs> yeah, you got to be there. You know, he's awarded it to Steve Smith three times. Steve Smith knows all about it. If it was Marnus Labashang winning it for the first time or Usman Khawaja or someone like that, mm. and it's special, Smith's won it four times now. He, he understands. Yeah. Um, the Logies that we celebrate in TV were named after John Logie Baird, who was a pioneer of, of television. So he was a Scotsman, um, died in 1946. So I'm trying to think, well, obviously the Logies weren't going. So he, he missed them. He missed the opportunity of having to go to the awards named after him. So does his, does his, at all, does his family then, does his family then go in his honor? Cause that's uh, the, uh, Dalliam, his family, same yeah. with Clive Churchill, his family, I don't know the Johnny Warren medal for the yeah, A-League. Don Bradman's Don family. Br- yeah, so I assume that might be the case with the Logies. Mm. All right. Well, we're, we're already getting texts in about what you wouldn't miss, but we're going we're gonna to have to hold on to that. Yeah. Save um, them for tomorrow. Now, Tony said, saw the news this morning. They were talking about a Jessica Watson movie. Can we get her on the show, please? An absolute legend. Well, I'll do some work on that, Tony, because I know the man who's involved in that movie the same man who was um, one of the executive producers of the movie Lion. Oh, beautiful film. Yep, yep, yeah. So I will speak to him and we'll try and get Jessica Watson on the line. But uh, I've been given a bit of a lowdown on, on what they've been doing and the replication of uh, how they film some of the yachting scenes and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's pretty Quite an pretty achievement. What, she, what, what was that, 2012, 2013? I've got to say she was 16. 16 years of age. Just, I remember, when that, was, ma- I remember you, when that was happening. No way in the world. No, no way in the world. I mean, even if there was a crew of 30 with me and they said, you want to go do that? No. 2009. She departed in October 2009. There you go. Hey, um, so Steve Smith last night, we just mentioned him, the Allen Border Medal. He's won his fourth Allen Border Medal. So I wanted to stoke a little bit of debate. We've got, what, just over 20 minutes to the end of the show about kind of where Steve Smith sits in the pantheon of Australian cricket and Australian cricket greats. So just some stats as it stands right now. So 
Um, in the most test centuries for Australia, he currently sits tied third with Matty Hayden. Second is Steve Waugh with 32. And first is, of course, Ricky Ponting with 41. He sits fourth overall for most runs scored for Australia. Ricky Ponting is, of course, on top of that as well. So I wanted to kind of compare because Ricky Ponting's always the benchmark when it comes to modern Australian batting. And then it's Steve Small, Matty Hayden in there as well. And then, of course, Steve Smith. I don't want to mention Donald Bradman because none of, neither of us saw him play. I don't think a lot of our listeners saw him play. And I think he is kind of an outlier. He kind of lives in his own realm, Don Bradman. We know how great Don Bradman is. So I just want to talk about kind of the modern greats. Um, and I want to compare him to Ricky Ponting. So Ricky Ponting's tied with Steve Waugh for the most amount of matches with 168, yep. 287 innings. He's got 41 centuries, 62 half centuries. Um, Steve Smith, 92 tests. 162 innings. He's got an average of 60.89, which is just ridiculous. And he's got 30 centuries and 37 half centuries. He turns 34 in June this year. He already hinted at the fact late last year, or or I think it was earlier this year in the the New Year's test, that he doesn't know how much longer he's got playing at the the top, at the top level for Australian cricket. So I wanted to pose to you, Matty. Obviously, you've watched cricket for a lot longer than I have, especially at the national level. Where would you have Steve Smith right now in terms of modern Australian cricket greats? Oh, modern, no doubt, right up the top. I think, I think the comparison. I, I think Ricky Ponting gets lost in a lot of these comparisons, and, and like you say, you've stepped out Don Bradman for good reason. But you compare R- Ricky Ponting is second on the list of all-time run scorers and he's only behind Sachin Tendulkar on that who played more tests than he did. His average of 51.8 against 51.06 so of Steve Waugh is, you know, it's very, very similar. Steve, uh, Steve Smith is, is right there in that mix mm-hmm. and – the question for me will be how many test matches, how many more test matches does he does he go? He's got to play another 76. 76, yeah. 76 to get to the level of matches played that both War, uh, and, Ponting War and Ponting played. So that's when you can start to do that, that uh, comparison. But let's not forget, he missed a chunk of the game. Mm-hmm. Right? Missed a chunk of the game. What, what, would, what effect would that have had? on the numbers that we're looking at now. So at the moment, for me, it's Ricky Ponting by far and away at the top. And not only when you compare Ponting to Steve Waugh, but I think you've got to compare Ponting to the best of the best ever. ever. Yeah. Right? And, not just Australia. Yeah, and let's step <laughs> – let's again, on the, even on that debate, let's step out, Don. So so when you look at Ponting and Tendulkar, you're starting to get something pretty close, mm-hmm. pretty damn close. If if Ricky Ponting had played another 32 tests, he'd end up with the same amount of tests as, as Sachin. Um, Sachin. Then where did the numbers stand in terms of overall runs? He finished about a thousand and a so thousand and so runs back. So I, I think it's I think it's Ricky up here, and then the numbers don't lie. You've got Steve Waugh. I mean, Alan Border's in that mix as well. Alan Border sits above Steve Waugh. Matty Hayden's in that mix. In terms, the key for me with you is the modern day cricketer. Mm -hmm. The modern day cricketer for me, Steve Smith, deserves to be in that top level of conversation. Can I ask you this then? So in terms of most test centuries for Australia, um, Smith's on 30 tie with Matty Hayden 
Obviously, Steve Waugh second 30, with 32, Ponting first with 41. Ricky Ponting retired when he was 38 years of age. Remember that final test in Perth against South Africa? He finished going really lean in his career. As I mentioned, Steve Smith turns 34 in June. Do you think – I'll just ask you this. Can Steve Smith equal Ricky Ponting with the test centuries? <laughs> and and can he go above? So he needs 12 to go more than Ricky, yeah. 11 to tie. Yep. Can he do it? I reckon he can do that. Will he do it? Yes. I, I reckon he will do that. So I, I've got him finishing on top there. I, I don't know about then overall run scored. And I think the way that his averages tracking puts him above on mm-hmm. averages. Very, very tough. Sachin Tendulkar's average that he finished with was 53.7, right? Which doesn't sound like a lot with the amount of numbers that we throw out these days and especially BBL and T20s and all that kind of stuff. Totally different argument. But that number, you sort of go, ooh, only 53.7? Steve Smith's average approaching 100 tests is 60.89. And you've got to remember where he started as well Mm. as a – as a leg spin bowler leg. playing at Lords against Pakistan, yeah. the next the next warning, just because he was blown and, and, and bowled a couple of legs. And let's not forget AB, you know, 156 test matches, first Australian man to go past 10,000 runs. He's finished with an average of, of 50, pretty much flat, 50.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's really, really hard. But, gee, different times, different eras. Is Steve Smith right now at the top of that conversation? He'd absolutely have to be. Jimmy Smith is coming up. Good to be back in the studio with you, mate. Um, our fearless leader, Hutchie's in today. He said, Happy New Year to me, which is the first time I've seen him this year. But right. I, but I'm thinking that this is kind of the last day, right? It's January 31. Yes. Can you say it tomorrow? Mm, Runs out, doesn't it? I don't know it? whether you can say it today, but if Hutchie said it, you can. No, that way. Well, right, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know? You know what I'm saying? Probably hey, a good way to put it. Tell you what, I was listening to you on the way in. Mm. Make or break year. Yes. Yeah. Who have Can't you got? It? Oh, well, the afternoons program with Jimmy Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez, yeah. I don't know. Ooh, I don't know which way to go. She's I know. Tight. I know. Geez, you know. You, uh, well, they have to, yeah, you have to go through different many? How many weeks? And, yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. If we haven't had a win in the first eight weeks. <laughs> I if we're 0 and 8. Yeah. <laughs> Smith to St. George Illawarra, <laughs> Griffin to SEN. Oh, if that's dear. The, if that, oh, gee, that's harsh. But oh, seriously, on that talk topic, though, where do you where do you stop? Where do you start? That, that's it. Just keep going. Is it a big year for Andrew Abdo and the NRL administration? Peter Volandi's throw him in there as yeah. well. The bunker. We had a shout out for the bunker. Yeah, I heard that. Didn't like that. Is it make or break year <laughs> for the bunker? It ain't going anywhere. No, it's not going anywhere. It's not. It's not make or break. But what we do know is this. At some point, we'll be deeply upset with a decision made by a bunker. Yeah. Monday? Yeah, no, I'm not sure it's Monday. Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the trial games, which are now, what are they, a competition that they're yes. playing for or something, yeah. you know, even then we'll start going, yeah, but that cost me 100000 yeah. That no try, because, you know, points for and against and all that, that no try actually cost on for and against 100 grand. Yeah. See, the interesting thing is, can you imagine the the uproar from us? Mm. At SEN, mm. if you take away the bunker. That's right. Well, like, hang on a second. What are we going to talk about on Monday morning? I was going to say, there's you know, 75 minutes of talk time. For God's sake, put it on back a in, morning. folks. Monday Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we're getting away from that. We're going to, we're going to talk about the on-field action. Yes. Uh, you've got Graham Arnold? Can't wait to speak to Graham Arnold. Actually, pull back the curtain. That's, that's a lie. 
Yep. We've already spoken to him. Oh, well, <laughs> we I thought did. the lie was you can't wait to speak to him. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I couldn't care less to speak to Graham Arnold. No. Um, we, we actually did a pre-record on it. Obviously, okay. he's, he's um, busy and, and and he's looking forward to being more busy. But, yeah. you know, he's he's got this sort of vision. And it during the course of it, he's talking about so much. And I'm like, it's it's not a manager's role. It's this holistic approach to Australian football. And he talked about football in this country. They don't have a home. And when you think it, like he said, I get a little upset when the West Tigers unveiled their $72 million centre of excellence and we're the Socceroos and, and the Matildas and we haven't got anything. Mm. Fair point. It's a fair point. Fair point. It's a very so good it's a, point. It's a big build. Uh, I don't know where it happens, but it, it it is a big build. Scott Woodward, Matt DeBoer, who's an investor now, uh, coming out of the AFL. And Staffy, we're heading across to New Zealand. So full show, Matty. Good man. Have a good show. Thanks, mate. Just some breaking news before I hand over to Jimmy Smith. Ryan Madison will be sitting out the first three games of the NRL season. Parramatta has failed in their bid to have that suspension changed to a fine. So remember that Madison opted to take a three-game ban for a crusher tackle in the grand final rather than cough up a $4,000 fine. However, in November, there was a change of heart and they appealed to the NRL's Judiciary Chairman, Jeff Bellew, to revert the sanction back to a fine. The Eels have been told there's no process available to do that. Any plea or decision is considered final. So Parramatta are then believed to have uh, made applications to the NRL to have this decision overturned, but we're, we're again told there's no mechanism available for the change. The bottom line, Ryan Madison will miss the first three matches of the season against Melbourne, Cronulla and Manly. So the three-game ban... Um, that he originally took will stick. Jimmy Smith will have more and a special interview with Graham Arnold coming up.